Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the Stretch Big Podcast. I am your host, Jacob Bigelow, and what if I told you we are just inside of two weeks until Christmas, and Nebraska men's basketball is already halfway to their win total from all of last season. Um, that is that is a statement of fact. Nebraska is 8-2. As I sit here recording this, it is a little late on Monday, the 11th of December, the day after Nebraska got their first Big Ten conference victory of the season at home, defeating the Michigan State Spartans 77-70 to to kind of ease some worry that came from back-to-back duds, uh, games to forget, and definitely averted complete and total disaster uh, to start the month of December by taking down Michigan State to get to one and one in the league, eight and two on the season, and um, it appeared that maybe we were, uh, you know, people were trying to cancel the season, say it was done, say it was over after the results against Creighton and Minnesota, which I will talk about not completely at length. Uh, the last time you heard me was the day before. Uh, the Creighton game, um, and I will you know talk about both the Creighton game and Minnesota game and the Michigan State game. All three of them going to be sort of a last week in review for Husker basketball. Nebraska now has a full seven days off before they travel to Manhattan, Kansas, to take on Kansas State at the Octagon of Doom on Sunday afternoon, December seventeenth at two p.m. Uh, of course, that game is only being carried on ESPN Plus, and is scheduled to start at the exact same time as the Volleyball National Championship game, which is going to start at 2 p.m. on ABC on Sunday afternoon. But I will be in the building at the Bramwich Coliseum. You can follow along uh, on my social medias for updates from that game when the time comes. But for now, we're going to start with a little week in review. So we can go back a week. A week, well, a week and a day ago now as I sit here recording this to uh, December 3rd, the game against Creighton. Uh, if you listen to my preview podcast, I kind of alluded to it but didn't say it outright. I did think Creighton would win. I thought Creighton would win by double digits. I did not expect them to win by almost 30 points. Um, Nebraska, first 10 minutes of that game were kind of right on script. It looked exactly like Nebraska needed it to. Baylor Shireman missed his first four shots. Trey Alexander wasn't exactly in rhythm. It was it was going according to plan for Nebraska. Back and forth, close game, and then just something flipped. The the set the last nine ten minutes of the first half, uh, Shireman got loose, made a first couple threes, um, and they just Nebraska did not really adjust defensively against him, which was. Uh, you know, frustrating to watch if you're a Nebraska fan. Um, you know, the kid who grew up right down the road shooting 40% from the field. Uh, you'd think you'd maybe want to have someone stay attached to Baylor Shireman. And he was, you know, by far, I mean, I, I don't know if I ever again will see one single player attempt 19 three-pointers on his own. Baylor Shireman attempted 
almost as many three-pointers as Nebraska did as a team, uh, finishing you know, 6 of 19 from 3, 8 of 22 from the field, but he led all scorers with 24. Um, the sequence at the end of the half where Stephen Ashworth gets fouled by Bryce Williams and then Casey Tomonaga throws the ball at the stanchion, gets a technical foul. Fred Hoiberg kicks the uh, the ad board on the scorer's table. Uh, Stephen Ashworth hits five free throws, goes four or five. Lead goes from 11 to 15 at the half. And Creighton just kept Nebraska at arm's length the entire second half. It was never really in doubt. Uh, even with Trey Alexander, who I called the head of the snake, going 6 of 17 from the field, 1 of 6 from three you know Creighton kept Nebraska at arm's length they got way they got a ton of open threes just like the game in Omaha last year uh, the only difference this year they only made four more threes than the game in Omaha last year they went 10 of 40 in that game they went 14 of 40 in the game in Lincoln and they lost the game last year by 10 they won this game by 29 Nebraska in part due to Nebraska shooting 24 of 71 from the field and 2 of 22 from 3. An abysmal night, to put it lightly. Um, And to me, I'll just, you know, I won't harp on this game too long, especially now that it's more than a week ago now. But Nebraska looked like they were overthinking the hell out of that game. I've seen it up close, you know, what it looks like when a Nebraska head coach or a Nebraska coaching staff overthinks or overdoes the hell out of a scouting report just because it's Creighton. Uh, shout out to the 2016 game where we th- uh, where Coach Miles thought drop pick and roll coverage on Maurice Watson and Justin Patton was a good idea. That's the example I'm referring to. But in this game, Nebraska, I mean, they um, they had a week off leading up to it. You're thinking about such a big game with all the emotion and buildup going into that game, that can definitely get into your head. And it looks like Nebraska was definitely in their own head, overthinking it, rushing into shots. And when you start rushing into things against Creighton, it can get out of hand and escalate quickly. And it did, and it was a slow bleed. Um, a slow Sunday, bloody red-out Sunday uh, against Creighton, 89 to 60 was the final score. Now, in a result like that, obviously the first thing you're thinking of is you got to burn the tape, you know, not let this game beat you twice. Now, in Nebraska's case, they traveled th- two, three days later up to the barn in Minneapolis to take on the team that was picked dead last in the Big Ten in the Minnesota Golden Gophers. For the first 20 minutes, it looked like they had righted the ship, like the Creighton game was in the rearview mirror they were showing flashes of flashes of brilliance flashes of okay they're on to the next one they have they have rebounded this this is going to be okay at one point in the first half nebraska led by as many as 17 they took a 15 point lead into halftime and you know that that ugliness the lack of discipline lack of urgency, the pa- the panic that they saw against Creighton, it looked like it was gone. You know, Bryce Williams was asserting himself after kind of being a no-show in the game against Creighton. Um, they were they were going to the rim. They were attacking hard. Um, they were, you know, they, they were taking care of business. They were the aggressors. 
they look like the better team. Minnesota's best player, Dawson Garcia, who in their game before this had, I believe, 38 points against Ohio State, turns his ankle three minutes into the game. He attempted to play later on. He only played seven minutes. He didn't score. And you could not have, you know, you're never rooting for a player to get injured or get hurt. But if you're a Nebraska basketball fan, you could not have scripted the first 20 minutes of this game to go more according to plan. They were, you know, they were, they looked locked in. They looked like the aggressors. They were imposing their will on an inferior opponent. And that's what they had done for the first seven games of the season against lesser competition. They had done their job. They had taken care of business and they had, you know, dispatched inferior opponents the way they should. And then halftime happened. And what happened next may have been the most and shocking. Shocking isn't the right way. I mean, it's shocking, but not like, I mean, I sat on my couch and I was texting with a, you know, a group of, you know, fellow, uh, fellow friends in the media to people who are just big fans of the program to, you know, just basketball people in general. And there were, I received multiple texts at halftime saying Nebraska will somehow blow this game. And what do you know? They did just that. Then they didn't just blow a 15 point lead. They got doubled up in scoring in the second half. Minnesota outscored them 52 to 26, and they won by 11, 76 to 65. And it was unlike anything I had seen in quite some time watching not just Nebraska basketball, but basketball in general. And this program, there have been so many tortured games, tortured seasons, tortured losses. And to go from getting run off your own court by your in-state rival in an incredibly built-up, charged-up atmosphere at home, to blowing a double-digit lead, like not just to a conference opponent, but to, to Minnesota. And I know that there have been people in Big Ten circles, and even Fred Hoiberg, after the Michigan State game on Sunday night, tried to say, Minnesota's a good team. They're going to do some things in the league, and that you know, you're going to get you know, you're never you're never going to dog on one of your fellow conference mates. But I mean, Minnesota is practically going through the year with a lame duck head coach in Ben Johnson. Coming into this season, Minnesota had won a combined six Big Ten games in the two prior seasons. Six, and yes, they knocked Nebraska out of the Big Ten tournament last year, but. Six regular season Big Ten wins in two years. Six out of forty. They play. Tw- you play twenty conference games a year. Six out of forty in two seasons. The, this is, we're talking about a team that lost by thirty plus to the team coached by the guy who most people think will be the next head coach at Minnesota in a closed door scrimmage before the season. I mean it's. It's complete. I mean, they were almost unanimously picked to finish last in the conference. And for Nebraska, who, yes, the first seven games of the year were against inferior opponents, and it was obviously a step up in competition, but 
that second 20 minutes, they looked lifeless. They looked uninspired. They looked lifeless. And, you know, it's been an unfortunate theme in the Fred Hoiberg era is clunky starts to halves coming out of the locker room. And, like, what... I mean, I just don't know what could... Like, what the message was. I know the, the locker room at the barn is, you know, I I was a Class A high school basketball manager. There are better high schools, high school locker rooms in Class A high schools than the visiting locker room at the barn. But, I mean, Minnesota, to have guys, you know, not named Dawson Garcia, guys like Mike Mitchell, Cam Christie, you know, Pharrell Payne and Ola Joseph, just out-tough, out-physical Nebraska and just completely, you know, turn the table on, on Nebraska and flip the script. You know, I think the the game was tied by the second half under 12. They were up by 15 at the half and it's just, you know, I thought I'd seen it all. (laughs) I thought I'd seen it all, you know, watching, you know, from my multiple perspectives on Husker basketball, whether it be growing up as a fan, being behind the bench for three seasons, to now covering the program and you know getting in front of a mic to talk about it. I thought I'd seen it all. But that Minnesota loss, that was unlike anything I'd ever seen. And Nebraska basketball season, Nebraska football season, handshake meme. Incredibly bad Minnesota losses. Verbal meme. Terrible podcasting, but that just, no matter how this season goes for Fred Hoiberg's bunch, I can sense that at the end of the year, they're going to look back at that Minnesota game and go, how in the world did we let that happen? I mean, the second half, Bryce Williams only scored one point. There are only two guys who made shots from the field, and they were Jamarcus Lawrence and Juwan Gary. And you get Jamarcus Lawrence's best offensive output of the season, finishes with 16 on 5 of 9 shooting, but he also had 7 turnovers. Um, Tron Coleman only plays for 4 minutes, and it might have been some of the ugliest 4 minutes I've seen. It looked horrible live. I can only imagine how bad it looked on film, so much so that he doesn't even see the court in the following game against Michigan State. Um, most notably, Casey Tomanaga, 0-5 from the field against Minnesota, 0-4 from three. And I will say this, Braden Carrington, he defended his ass off. He had Casey Tomanaga in his back pocket, was chasing him around, playing physical, and Casey wasn't even really forcing much. I don't know if it was a mental thing or what. Braden Carrington had, you know, he he that was the toughest I've seen most any almost anybody defend Casey Tominaga. Carrington's just a sophomore. He's a Minnesota kid, but he played his ass off. And you know what was the craziest thing to me after that game was watching the post game availability. I did not make the trip. I was you know sitting at home. Ben Johnson called that the biggest win in his tenure at Minnesota. Not because it was Nebraska, but it was because the his team rallying without Dawson Garcia and guys stepping up. Guys like Pharrell Payne playing 35 minutes off the bench. Mark Mitchell playing 23 minutes off the bench. 
Um, you know, they had, you know, they had five guys in double figures. They, you know, they guys stepped up big time. They were winning the hustle plays. They were winning the 50-50 balls. They were out physical in them. They, Minnesota completely turned the table on Nebraska and then some. And to lose that game, I mean, that is what really cranked up the worry and the doom and gloom talk around this program uh, for most of last week. I had people asking me who some names on Trev Alberts' shortlist would be. Who, who, you know, did you know the Fred's buyout dropped? All sorts of, I mean, it was, you know, the season was over and Fred was fired just in the immediate aftermath of that game against Minnesota, which just as a refresher, Nebraska did lose 76 to 65 after leading at the half, um, 39-24, outscored 52-26 to in the second half. Minnesota also out-rebounded Nebraska in that game, 32. No, it was even. Nope, it was not out-rebounded. 32 apiece, but Nebraska had 18 turnovers, and uh, you know Minnesota also had 16, but... Nebraska had 18, seven of them came from one guy in Jamarcus Lawrence, and just everything that could have possibly gone wrong in 20 minutes, you know, it, you know, I, that was a game that, you know, we hope doesn't come back to bite Nebraska at the end of the year, but it's going to be something that will stick with me mentally for a while, even after the following game. So... Thirdly, and last but certainly not least, uh, the most recent game for Nebraska against Michigan State. Michigan State came into this game at 4-4 four and four on the year, uh, the worst start for a preseason top-five team in, I believe, more than 30 years. They were, pre- they were top five coming into the preseason. They lose at home to James Madison on opening night. Their other losses were to Duke, Arizona, and by double digits at home to a resurging Wisconsin team. Now, this Michigan State group, they brought a lot back from last year. They were a Sweet 16 team. Um, If I'd have done a little preview, I would have talked a lot about Tyson Walker, and I would have said that Michigan State's biggest problem was struggling on offense for guys not named Tyson Walker. And in the game against Nebraska, you know, Malik Hall, he definitely played without fear going inside. He's one. He was their starting power forward. Um, you know, he finished with twenty-two and seven. You know, Walker didn't really get going until the second half. He's by far their best player. And Michigan State also was eight of seventeen from three, good for forty-seven percent. Walker made three. Jade Nakins made two. Jade Nakins was one of the guys who went crazy. In the second half of that Michigan State game last year, in which they just erupted from three when Nebraska led coming out, and you know Aikens was, um, you know, I, he's he's a guy that needs to get better for Michigan State to win more games. Some of their younger guys, you know, they have a five-star freshman Xavier Booker, you know, six ten kid. He didn't even play. In this game, Michigan State's bigs, Mati Sissoko and uh, Carson Cooper, combined for two points. Um, <laughs> two points and three rebounds from the two centers that they played. And they're, they're also without 
uh, Kohler, I think is his name, Charlie, is it Charlie Kohler? You know, we can, uh, but they're missing, they're missing another big man, but I mean, Tom Izzo, after the game last night, incredibly frustrated with his group, drops to five and four on the season, not five and four, four and five, and, uh, no, it's not Charlie Kohler. Charlie Kohler played uh, played football at Iowa State. It's Jackson Kohler. That's who Michigan State is is without. But you know they've got some they've got some soul searching to do up in East Lansing. Um, I think that they you know they are definitely going through plenty of growing pains. But this game was about Nebraska, and Nebraska, as cliche as it sounds, basketball is indeed a make shots game. And uh, the Huskers, they were they were on their A game as much as I we've seen this year from the field. Finished the game fifty percent from the field, forty three percent from three. And you know if this team, if we've seen what this team's capable of when the threes are falling, and the ones they made on Sunday night, they weren't. I don't think they're what I don't think they're exactly drawn up. I think they were kind of, you know, Sam Hoiberg threw one in to beat the shot clock from basically the radio table. Uh, Kese Tomonaga had a couple. You know, he finished uh, finished with three of them. A couple of them were off balance. Kese doing Kese stuff, but he was three for seven. C.J. Wilcher banked one in on a you know on a you know and he was was trailing, got a pass, and pulled up from just uh, just east of the Nebraska border that's on the court, uh, just east of, you know, just some small town in Iowa on the court. Wilcher pulls up, banked one in. He made f- he made f- two of four. Juwan Gary, he also made two of four. And Nebraska, in the second half, was above, was, you know, I think they were 60... Let's see. They were 64% from the field in the second half. That is incredible. Um, talking to there are a lot of Michigan State beat writers that made the trip, and talking to one of them uh, in the post game, they said that that game was about Michigan State's defense letting them down. Nebraska finishing 50% from the field. That's the highest that any Michigan State opponent has been from the field all year, and that includes Duke and the number one team in the country, Arizona. Uh, Michigan State held those guys to you know <laughs> to lesser percentages from the field than they did Nebraska and Nebraska. What worked well for them? Their spacing, their spacing was excellent. Um, it, they were you know they were not all bunched up, jumbled around. There were some times where they were standing around, but in general their spacing was great. And in a Fred Hoiberg read and react offense. You know the the five. You know sometimes five out pace and space. Your spacing has to be good, and that was one of the things that definitely stood out. Second thing that stood out was Rink Mast. Rink Mast had eight points, but he had eleven. Nope, eleven defensive rebounds, fourteen total rebounds, and six assists. Not every night in the Big Ten is your five man going to lead you in rebounds and assists. He was showing a little bit of those Derek Walker type flashes. I talked about it in the post game. Said him and Fred Hoiberg had been, you know, getting in the film room a little bit, and Fred had been emphasizing to Rink that when he gets, you know, a feed at the elbow, to, you know, to make a read, you know, maybe a secondary read, and maybe make and make a pass 
before immediately going into an action. And that was that's what you know we've seen rank his his um his ability as a playmaker to flash. You know that was something people questioned with him filling in that Derek Walker you know point forward type role. And with the emphasis we've heard on his ability to space the floor, his passing and playmaking could is something that Nebraska needs to see, you know, to continue down the line. But yeah, Mast. A uh, couple points away from a double-double again. And for a time, I thought he was maybe on triple-double watch. But, you know, 8, 14, and 6 from your 5, that'll that'll get the job done. Um, we also saw some extended minutes for, well, not extended. Uh, Eli Rice played 7 minutes. Matar Jope played 6 minutes off the bench, the two true freshmen. Rice made his one field goal attempt. He loves him a corner three. Find something you love as much as Eli Rice loves that corner. But they both, for the most part, looked the part. You know, if you're a true freshman getting in, you know, in a Big Ten action, Big Ten minutes, the bit, the most important thing is to not, you know, stick out like a sore thumb. And I thought Matar Jope and Eli both looked the part out there on the court. Um, you know, Nebraska still has some things to figure out rotation-wise. These last three non-conference games, uh, Kansas State, North Dakota, and South Carolina State, I think we'll see more different guys get minutes in those North that North Dakota-South Carolina State stretch than we will this weekend in Manhattan. But I think you know a guy with Matar Jobe's build, athleticism, you can send that guy in, tell him to crash the boards, also, he's got five fouls he can use in a game against some guys uh, like Edie or Wisconsin Biggs or some guys that are later down the line on the schedule. Matar Joe could definitely be of use. And Eli Rice, he kind of was getting a lot of love at the start of the year. He had a good outing in the exhibition game at, against Doan. He's shown the ability to take and make the three, some stuff off the dribble. You know, he was their leading scorer on the Spain trip. And you know, I think, you know, we'll see those those guys both come and go. And I think, you know, come and go from the rotation minutes, thing could be matchup dependent. It'll be, um, you know, I think they're both, they've both shown they're capable and they're both, you know, can have find a role and embrace it for this team. I liked what I saw from both Rice and Jope. Um, it was kind of another struggle bus game for Jamarcus Lawrence. Um, he... Had two turnovers, just one of five from the field, four assists. The biggest thing that I like that I've seen from Jamarcus is how fast he is with the ball in his hands. He can initiate a break, um, but his reads, some of his, you know, he's not, he's still in the transition to the point guard spot. And I definitely, there are some, some instances where it can be a struggle bus for him. I think, you know, they may look for some other ways to get him off the ball. Guys like Kese initiating offense, maybe Sam Hoiberg, if they're on the court together. We did see a good amount of minutes for Sam, 17 minutes off the bench. And, you know, he's that's, you know, Jamarcus, you know, he's they're clearly invested in him. And I think they're going to do what they can to find his best role, you know, to to you know, to succeed in the long haul. I don't know if that's at the point, but the you know we'll still see. It is still December after all, but there's been more questions than answers with Jamarcus Lawrence as the point guard. As I, um, 
as I said, you know, going over the Minnesota game, we did not see Jerron Coleman. Uh, those minutes kind of went to Sam Hoiberg. Like I said, 17 minutes off the bench, only had the one make from the field, and it was that deep three that he threw in to beat the shot clock. But he was defending Tyson Walker late on the ball, um, and he's, you know, Sam the spark plug, as Mike Sauter, you know, has, has called him a spark plug Sam. McGowan's brothers call him Seatbelt Sam. He's got all sorts of different nicknames. Uh, but Sam Hoiberg, his importance to this team, you know, it cannot be understated. He's definitely the energy, the energizer bunny, the spark plug off the bench. And he, you know, the team looks completely different. And he was in in crunch time, went two of two from the line when Nebraska made their free throws to put the game on ice. That's been something that, you know, Nebraska's been consistent from the free throw line these last few games. That is uh, a night and day change from what many may have, may remember from the past couple years under Fred Hoiberg, uh, teams going to the line and you having to, you know, hold your breath a little bit. But Nebraska's 13 of 15, uh, made a lot of their, you know, most of, I don't think they missed many, if any, down the stretch, and they missed two from the, two for the entire game. But it felt like, you know, Michigan State, when they were fouling, they, uh, you know, Nebraska made, made their free ones to help ice the game away. So 77-70 against Michigan State. Tom Izzo used multiple, <laughs> so many different forms, the word disappointed in his postgame presser. But, you know, this is, you know, it's a different uh, matchup for Izzo. You know, given his relationship with Fred Hoiberg, they're good friends. Fred's son, Jack, was a four-year player for Michigan State as a walk-on. Fred spent a lot of time in East Lansing going to practice, going to games. Uh, when he was out of uh, coaching for the short time that he was, and you know, this is a unique you know matchup. You know the coaching fraternity is small, but you know it's rare for two coaches to have a relationship like Tom Izzo and Fred Hoiberg do. Nebraska gets their first win over Michigan State since January of 2016, a game that they won by a uh, game where Siobhan Shields was the leading scorer at the Breslin Center. A very random win, but it snapped an 11-game losing streak against Michigan State. Um, the big questions that I still have, and I asked people for uh, questions on uh, online on the app formerly known as uh, Twitter, now with the big ugly X logo on it, I asked people for... Uh, questions after the Minnesota game. I'm not going to go over them all one by one because we were all kind of... I, I, I was frustrated just sitting on my couch and watching it, but plenty of people were frustrated about uh, the overall you know, look of the team and the season, <laughs> the season outlook um, after, after that game. But my biggest questions right now, you know, the rotation is number one. And most specifically, the backcourt rotation. I alluded to the Jamarcus Lawrence questions. Uh, Sam Hoiberg is going to play. He's going to get minutes. When or do we see Jerron Coleman again? Um, still haven't heard a peep about Ramel Lloyd either, which I think is very odd. He was not listed on the availability report. Appears to be a very weird situation with Ramel Lloyd, who is a Highly touted recruit out of Sierra Canyon, you know, played with Bronny James, knows all about the big stages, and we kind of haven't really heard anything about Ramel, about, aside from he was rehabbing from an injury, then he got sick. We really haven't heard much else 
about Ramel Lloyd Jr. I would, uh, you know, semester ends after this coming week. Finals are done. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm not. I have no inside info. I have no, not to expect anything, but I don't know what Ramel Lloyd's role is right now. And with the uh, question marks that I have about backcourt play, you'd think they'd maybe just give him a shot to see how it looks. But we didn't. We haven't seen. Any minutes for Ramel Lloyd yet? My other big question, and I, you know, alluded to this on uh, Twitter during the game, is what's it going to take for someone on Nebraska to just go set a screen for Kese Tomanaga? I don't think ISO ball Kese is the answer to Nebraska's offensive problems. Um, I think you know we saw we saw against Creighton. You know he wasn't even really. You know, he made one of Nebraska's two made threes, but most of his points against Creighton were, you know, at the free throw line and inside. But from three, you know, he's, you know, he doesn't need a lot of space to get his shot off. It's lightning quick. He'll do it with a hand in his face. He'll fall away, try to contort his body somehow, some way. But, you know, we saw it at the end of last year, and I don't think this is going to be the offense for Nebraska. But, you know, Fred Oiberg basically said at the end of last year that the offense was. Find Kese and screen away for him. And I don't know, you know, I feel like once Josiah Alec comes back from, you know, we, that's something I hadn't mentioned yet, Josiah Alec did not play due to an ankle injury. Juan Gary started in his place, had an efficient 20 points on 11 shots, 8 of 11 shooting, uh, three boards for Juan Gary. His first start of the season it continues to be incredibly impactful. But I feel like when Josiah Alec comes back, that should be something that he's out there to do is, you know, set screens, screen away for Casey. Uh, this would be something for Juwan Gary to do, rink masks. You know, they're, Nebraska's got some big, long, long guys out there who could screen for Casey to try and hopefully get him some space. Your, your all-conference player who's your, you know, your lightning rod, you know, you, you got to help him out. You got to get him some help. You know, go set a screen, go hit somebody, as you know, Rick Mast had to explain to someone in the postgame media after Michigan State what it means to hit on a basketball court. Go go hit somebody, go set a screen for your all conference player. Um, I will come back later in the week with a K State preview. K State's gonna be coming off of eight days between games. They mollywopped LSU in Baton Rouge, Creighton transfer Arthur Kaluma coming into his own Big 12 Player of the Week last week. Uh, Kansas State's already played in four OT games. Uh, they have been up and down. Uh, a lot of ISO ball uh, going on on their team. They're not the, they're not what they were last year with with uh, Marquise Noel and uh, Keontae Johnson, but they're still really athletic. Jerome Tang is still super energetic, and uh, since I'm going to be in the building. We'll come back later in the week with a Kansas State preview. Um, so now that all the Big Ten teams are through, well, almost all of them, I think, are through their early two. Yep, all the, well, everyone but Rutgers. Well, Rutgers, Northwestern, Illinois, Wisconsin have only played one. So not almost everybody, but a good amount of teams in the Big Ten are through their two early conference games, and half the league is 1-1. One one. Nebraska, obviously, is a part of that 1-1 one one group, along with Maryland, Penn State, Ohio State, Minnesota, Purdue, Michigan, 
Uh, those were all the one and one teams. Uh, Iowa and Michigan State at zero and two. Indiana at the top of the league at uh, two and zero. Um, so just a little, you know. This will be my Big Ten corner. Uh, Northwestern upset Purdue again last week. In case you missed it, second year in a row, Northwestern has knocked off Purdue. Now the Wildcats are into the top twenty-five, checking in at number twenty-five. Um, they are. I was I was doubting doubting Northwestern again. Chris Collins, laughing in my face. They tur- they beat Purdue. Well, actually, that was before the before the Creighton game. Holy cow! Yeah, these games have been going on for a while. Northwestern, I am so confused. Yeah, why did Northwestern Northwestern only has one early Big Ten game? That doesn't make a lot of sense. But um, Northwestern. Northwestern did beat Purdue. People like to forget. Indiana's 2-0, and they can't shoot. They cannot shoot to save their lives. They beat Maryland in their first uh, Big Ten game of the year. And that was the first game all year for IU that they made more threes than their opponent. Um, IU made three. Maryland made two. Um, Indiana comes to Lincoln in a couple weeks. They're really big man heavy. Their guard play... Not very deep and kind of suspect. Um, you know they they beat Maryland and Michigan, but then they got thirty pieced by Auburn in the Holiday Hoops Giving event in Atlanta. That Nebraska also got thirty pieced by Auburn in a couple years ago. But um, you know, Big Ten, you know, it appears to be. I'd still say Purdue's the favorite. They're still in a league of their own, despite the Northwestern loss. That second tier. Probably right now a two-team tier, Illinois and Wisconsin. Illinois, the number 16 team in the country, Wisconsin at 23 after a loss on the road to number one Arizona in a true road game. But Wisconsin, they've been playing really well. They beat Sparty. They beat Marquette uh, in a their, their in-state red versus blue private-public rivalry game. Um, they beat Marquette at home, and they're, they've found something on offense, and that's even without... Uh, Connor Asijan. So that's kind of, then there's the the muddled, jumbled up middle, you know, Ohio State and Northwestern are probably the next two teams on that list. Even though Ohio State blew a 15 point lead to Penn State in Happy Valley, Penn State, another predicted seller dweller type team, but they've got, you know, their guards, Kanye Clary and Ace Baldwin, they're guys who can get going. And, you know, they've got a bunch of Transfer bigs in uh, Cutis Wahab, Puff Johnson. You know, we'll talk about you know Penn State down the line. I don't think Nebraska and Nebraska doesn't play Penn State until February, so we still got a little bit of time till we got to talk about the Nittany Lions. But Ohio State's looked really impressive. Um, Maryland still on that struggle bus. Um, they're five and four. Minnesota still they beat Nebraska, but uh, I don't know Rutgers. And then Iowa. Well, we can end by talking about Iowa. Iowa has gotten curb stomped in two of their last three games. They lost to Purdue by 19 in West Lafayette. They got, I mean, they went to the Ames in the Cyhawk game, and that game was over. That, like, lost 90 to 65. And, you know, I Iowa State, you know, they're not. 
they're good, but they're super young, super athletic, and Iowa was just abysmal. Eight for 26 from three, 22 of 57 from the field. And they got, you know, they got, I mean, that game, I mean, it looked like varsity versus JV. Iowa, Iowa had 19 turnovers. They were, I mean, they just looked so sloppy and they're a team that isn't going to play much defense. That's kind of been a, you know, tales old as time with the Fran McCaffrey team. And in an in-state rivalry game, go up there for, go up to Hilton Coliseum for Cyhawk and to just get punked like that, not ideal. But then they come back and they lose to Michigan. They lose by 10 to Michigan at home. Michigan was up by as much as 19 at one point, and Fran McCaffrey gets ejected, takes the if I'm getting blown out, I'm getting thrown out route, uh, gets two two tees, and gets ran. And, you know, they lose 90 to 80 to Michigan. I still don't know what to think of Michigan. We had all the Jawan Howard scuttlebutt after, you know, on Sunday night, internet rumors, you know, people having to report on internet rumors surrounding Jawan Howard. But I, I think... You know, Michigan is definitely in a weird spot. That's a weird you know, co- coaching staff situation right now between Juwan and Phil Martelli. And, you know, they, they've, they Michigan has been an EKG, you know, kind of similar to Nebraska, I think, just in terms of didn't have a lot of expectations before the season. They started off hot. People were like, oh, is this team good? And then they've kind of just been up and down since. But, I mean, Iowa. I don't know. They're at five and five, and they're you know they get back into the the bye games. Florida A and M, UMBC, Northern Illinois. But I mean, I don't know what Iowa is going to be looking like when we get to Big Ten play. Nebraska goes to Iowa City um, the second week of January. You know, coming up next month. So we'll definitely it'll be interesting to see where those two teams are at when we get there. But I th- you know, we can end on this. I'll end with what the numbers are saying. We can go through the analytics sites, starting with Kenneth Pomeroy, uh, Nebraska, number 60 in Ken Palm, projected record 18 and 13, 9 and 11 in the Big Ten. Nebraska has a th- the number 31 in the country in offensive efficiency. Still a good amount of green on their Ken Palm, even after how... Uh, the Creighton and Minnesota games went. They were they have lost a couple wins on Ken Palm since the last time I read off the projections. Uh, the Kansas State game, the Ken Palm is projecting Kansas State to win 77-72. Gives Nebraska a 34% chance to win. Over on the T page with Bart Torvik. Nebraska is the number 42 team in the country. They Torvik has Nebraska as the 29th highest at offensive efficiency in the country. Um, what a weird sentence. <laughs> you know, just, uh, two sites where Nebraska's top 35 in uh, offensive efficiency. Um, projected record on Torvik, 20 and 11, 10 and 10 in the Big Ten. 20 wins, not too bad. Um, <laughs> these are our projections, after all. Got to take them with a grain of salt. Kansas State game projects Kansas State to win 76-73. Gives Nebraska a 40% chance to steal a big road win at the Octagon. And Torvik also does tourney odds. They currently have Nebraska's tourney odds at 34.4%. 
Um, looking at, I did finally bite the bullet and subscribe to uh, Evan Mayakawa. I've talked about Evan's uh, site on the podcast a couple times. I did bite the bullet and um, go in for five bucks a month just to be able to uh, take a look at uh, some. You know, Evan Mayakawa has a PhD in data analytics, so if I when I feel like uh, feel like getting extra dorky, I can go on uh, evanmayakawa.com. Um, he, he's got some a lot of game score stuff. Um, interesting. All the all of Nebraska's most efficient lineup combinations uh, include Josiah Alec and Sam Hoiberg, <laughs> and that's looking at uh, offensive and defense efficiency, just efficiency combinations. Uh, lists, yeah, Sam Hoiberg and Josiah Alec are in almost all, no, literally all of the most efficient lineup combinations, which that's interesting, but still a small sample size. On Evans' game predictor, uh, says Kansas State by six uh, for the game on Sunday, and um, that is... What the numbers are saying, I guess I could look at Evans. Yep, Big Ten rankings. Nebraska's 74th in the country, according to Evan, and they are 12th in the Big Ten on uh, Evans' site. Um, so that is clearly uh, the lowest, but that's <laughs> that's um, those are what the numbers are saying across my three favorite basketball dork websites. That is kind of the weak... In review, two tough, two tough ones against Creighton and Minnesota. Two games that Nebraska fans, I'm sure, are going to want to forget about. But thankfully, as much of a must-win game, you know, as much of a must-win as a game could be on December 10th, Nebraska found a way to win against Sparty, one and one in the league. Um, now a huge test on the road against Kansas State, a game that would be enormous for the resume, enormous for confidence of the season. We'll be coming back at you later in the week with a preview of the Wildcats before I make the trip to Manhattan. You can follow me on Twitter at Jacob A. Bigelow, B-I-G-E-L-O-W. That's how you spell my name. Uh, you can follow the show at Stretch Big Pod. You can email the show with questions, uh, stretchbigpod at gmail.com. I'm going to get to... The Twitter questions that I received after the Minnesota game on the K-State preview episode, because even after the win against Michigan State, I think a lot of those questions are still overarching for this Nebraska team. Uh, but thank you for tuning back in. Sorry about the long layoff. Been a little busy, some personal things, holiday season. Uh, this is not my full-time job, after all. So I am a busy, busy guy, uh, but I knew I needed to get something out. Uh, for the people, appreciate everyone who has listened and left a review so far. We'll be back later in the week with a Kansas State-Nebraska preview. As Fred Hoiberg said after the North Michigan State game, a good old Big 8 battle to finish the three-game series against the Wildcats. So we'll be back at you later in the week. Thanks again, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, be sure to tell somebody you love them, and I will talk to you later. 